Welcome back to America's leading higher education podcast network, the EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. This is EdUp EdTech, dedicated to interviewing leaders at the front end of technology and innovation in education, hosted by the amazing, the outstanding, the incredible Holly Owens. Now let's get to it and hear from your host, Holly Owens. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another fabulous episode of EdUp EdTech. My name is Holly Owens, and I'm your host, and we have a fantastic guest with us today. We have Ash Kaluarachi, who is the CEO at StartEd and the producer at EdTech Week, and you're going to learn about what all those things are very soon. So, Ash, welcome to the show. Holly, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you. And I know we had a conversation um, a few months back and I'm really glad that we got to have the opportunity to record and talk about all the great things about Start Ed and Ed Tech Week. But first, before we get into all that, I wanna learn more about you. So tell me about yourself and your journey into this Ed Tech space. Absolutely, Holly. And and like the best of things, uh, part of it was accidental, part of it was luck, and part of it was just sticking with it. I'd say um, uh, my time uh, in, in education innovation uh, really started uh, when the industry was relatively young. Uh, this was in the mid 2000s, uh, when the first few EdTech accelerators uh, came on the scene. Acceleration in general, if for those of you who aren't familiar, is this idea of providing uh, capital you know, in the form of investment and then a structured pro learning process, uh, mentorship, uh, from seasoned executives and innovators in the space over a finite amount of time. It reminds me of, of school when, when done right. Uh, and, and that's um, the industry that, that began in the early 2000s. EdTech became a, a vertical focus uh, soon after. However, the industry took a little bit of time uh, to, to catch up to, to the rest of, of the tech space simply because it's really hard to build an edtech company. There's a lot of nuance to doing so. You have to be mindful of the fact that your customers are not your users. You have to care about the financial and social impact you're creating. Otherwise you're probably gonna not stick with it. And it's a complicated ecosystem with multiple stakeholders with sometimes differing incentives. So. Uh, you know, why would one even want to start a business? Yeah, <laughs> no, but it's very rewarding. I can, you know, I can just say from people who have started a tech businesses and talking to them, it's very rewarding. And I like what you're doing and, um, you know, helping people, you know, we'll talk about this more and get the capital they need to start their business. I love it how you said the customers are not the users. So that is the case sometimes. Um, but please tell us more about, about your journey and, and how you got here. Certainly. So uh, rewind back to that, uh, that moment in time in the early 2000s, and uh, the first few EdTech accelerators came on the scene. Uh, I was part of building uh, some of the first in the U.S. Uh, those actually flamed out, uh, which was uh, very exciting to be a part of and shocking to see that downturn. 
partially because of uh, the, uh, the the fact that it was a little bit too early, partially because no one really knew how to run those uh, programs early on. Uh, fast forward a couple of years, and and lo and behold, um, one of the larger organizations in the space, uh, it's a company called Techstars, uh, gives me a call and says, hey, look, you happen to be one of the only few people who ever done this before. Do you want to come do this for us? And uh, based on my previous experience, I've spent a little bit of time um, before the early 2000s building companies and, and having those sold uh, to third parties. Um, I actually grew up in Sri Lanka where my parents had a school for about 300 kids out of our home. Um, I realized, wait a minute, I've been in education and training all along. Uh, maybe I should go about you know, helping build the next generation of founders. And that's what started my, my journey in, in the space of supporting early stage innovators in education. Ah, wow. So you've helped other people do this um, already. And it sounds like you have a lot of experience and you also figured out the best path and what to tell people and give them advice on what to do. Well, I try to. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's more than telling because we take pride in this idea of mentorship, which is very different than teaching and it's very different than operating. Uh, it's, a, it's more of this Socratic approach that allows someone who's very seasoned uh, to guide the innovative thinking of someone who's starting out in the space. Often someone starting out in the space has better ideas. They just might not be aware of some of the constraints and risks of, of doing so. That's why someone starting out is actually the best vehicle for innovation in the space. But the experience of a, of a more senior innovator uh, can help guide and, and get that innovator to their end result a little bit quicker and more efficiently and impactfully. Yeah, definitely. And speaking of mentor and mentor, mentee, you know, having mentees and mentorship, I want to know along your path um, to this, who or whom has inspired your journey along the way? I've had so many uh, people, uh, inspiring people that have been part of my life uh, along the way. Probably too many to, to name uh, in, in the half an hour we have. However, very early on, my conversations with the founders of, of Techstars, uh, that's, that's David Cohen, uh, David Brown, Brad Feld. Uh, these are our names synonymous with innovation in general. And I was so proud to, to be part of that early team uh, when, when that company was still very young in launching uh, the EdTech program that I built for them for, for Kaplan. Uh, so their model is to, to have a large organization um, come in and, and partner around a specific vertical. And, and I managed the program that uh, resulted in a couple of dozen investments and, and still remains the most financially successful EdTech accelerated in history. But the, uh, the conversations I had with, with Brad and the Davids were inspiring in that they showed me that it's not necessarily about uh, the, the financial outcome of these organizations. In fact, if you focus on that, you probably aren't gonna to get to uh, your end result. Instead, it's really about understanding the problem, figuring out what pain points you can solve for your, for your customers and users. Uh, it's, it's about treating uh, people 
uh, as innovators in themselves, the fact that even though we are playing this role of facilitator between capital and insight and, and these early innovators, it's not our company, right? It's, we, are, we are mediums, if you will. So those kinds of very inspirational conversations really help me guide the, the values I've developed at Stardad uh, to this day. That sounds like you sound like you had a great bunch of mentors and guidance along the way. And I'm, you know, definitely the money conversation we're doing like a spinoff, like not like a spinoff episode, but we're doing like a startup. One of my good friends is trying to, is working on starting his own ed tech business. So I might have to introduce you to him. Um, and he's talking like one of the conversations we're going to have in the next episode is about money and like how that's not everything that goes into what you're doing. There's a lot of different other things that people have to consider, but also you have to have the capital in order to be able to start the business. And you're going to have to have investors. I'm learning a lot from listening to his experience. So I'd imagine you come across those things quite a bit in your adventures. Uh, Certainly. And I'm sure that I can learn a few things from him as well. If you introduce us. Yes, I'm absolutely going to introduce you. So being that you've been in the ed tech industry and you've, you've um, helped start some businesses and sold some businesses, how would you personally define educational technology? Great question, Holly, because no one seems to have the same definition, probably for the best that we don't have the same definition. But uh, I think the, the simplest way to put it uh, is that I like to think of the space as um, one that follows your journey, the journey of the individual as they mature through their life. So uh, think of uh, five different phases of a human's life uh, where you go from you know, being in that early childhood phase to being uh, um, a child uh, and, and, a young, and a young adult, then into the workforce. Those are five, five separate um, industries now. I like to call them pre-K, K-12, higher ed, uh, workforce learning, and uh, lifelong adult learning. Those uh, industries tend to be, uh, tend to get a little bit of a different kind of attention, especially K-12 and higher ed. Well, uh, the definition of ed- education and ed tech uh, for quite some time, I think people are now realizing that there's these peripheral areas where we can continue to learn uh, as, as adults through our lives. We are understanding that early childhood isn't uh, a medical problem to be solved. It's actually an educational one. Uh, so we're looking at this, this process of learning uh, much more holistically. I'd say in addition to those, those five industries, there's obviously nuances around how you go about solving the problem as well, uh, whether you're solving the problem uh, directly for a particular customer, like a university or a school, or whether you're solving a problem for the specific individual, like a learner or a parent. Uh, so the space tends to be divided into those five verticals and, and a couple of different approaches to doing so. Yeah, I like how you talked about the the different sectors because they do operate at different levels and they do operate differently um, in terms of how, like you're saying, the audience that you're serving um, and the tech and the way it's designed and the way it's presented is completely dependent upon that. Um, so I want to I want to ask you this uh, in your in your in your travels and your, your ventures. What have maybe we could give the audience who people who are thinking about starting 
their own ed tech business, what are some of the things, some maybe pieces of advice, maybe say like three, um, you could give people who are first starting out. And this is a kind of a curveball question, but I thought I'd put you on the spot because you're such an expert. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> I'd say, uh, let me answer that question by saying, here are probably the three things that innovators don't do, the most common mistake. Okay, that's in, good. I like that. Uh, I like that. Um, and I'd say that uh, just to summarize them, uh, they are uh, in misunderstanding the problem. They are in figuring out the timing and sequencing of the activities of initiating a business. And it's finally who they get involved and how, right? So just to go a little bit deeper there, uh, the, the problem space in, in, in education is pretty uh, complicated. And most folks don't realize that they've experienced education their entire lives, uh, but may not have seen beneath the, the veneer of, of their experience as a, as a student, right? So, you know, you can't fly a plane just because you've sat in it. And, and similarly, it's really hard to be in education simply because you've gone to school. So there is a much more complexity there that you need to dig in and understand. Uh, and what attracts people to this space is usually, hey, I had a you know, relatively bad experience in my education and I want to solve it for others. Sometimes people uh, start out from even from within the ecosystem. They are experienced administrators, educators, uh, and I love those, those folks who, um, who are coming up from the, from behind the curtain, if you will, of education and trying to innovate. Um, regardless of where you start from, uh, the, the understanding of the particular problem at the user, at the, at the ecosystem level, at the national level is, is very important and getting educated about each of those things is, is helpful, uh, but nothing beats just talking to a bunch of people about a problem that you're trying to define. Uh, second, it's, a, it's really about the timing and sequencing. Uh, the, uh, uh, some people assume that you need to you know, quit your job and then start a company and go all in. That's actually not probably not the worst. Yeah, advice. like putting all your chips in in Las Vegas. Yeah. Have like a full uh, house, just put it all in. Yeah, and by the way, that's actually how I did it. <laughs> I would, <laughs> well, I it worked out for you. <laughs> it did, but, but the going, I, I basically steepened that 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 mountain I had to climb by quite a few degrees by, by, you know, going in, uh, relatively quickly with all my chips. I was, I was you know, young and foolish as everyone is at that point. And, and I think that my path was, was far more arduous than it could, than it should have been. Instead, I would have advised myself to run experiments, get to know people, um, network in the ecosystem, become a known entity. And then the moment you start seeing, you clarify your problem, and then you realize that there are other people who are investors, other talent who are founders, or people who can join other uh, entities in the ecosystem who see the same problem you do. That's when you probably should take that leap because uh, you define a problem space. And, and if no one else is solving it too, in a compelling way, you've identified a, um, a gap in the market. And then the third thing is really about who you involve. Um, some people think it's you need to go out and get an investor to start a company. Also, a misconception: uh, the uh, the way that most companies are, are built in education uh, is 
through bootstrapping. Uh, it's it's rare that you go out find an investor and 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 then use that capital to build a company. Instead, most founders find themselves needing to uh, innovate and 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 build build bring in revenue by actually providing some kind of service. It might not be a scalable solution, but uh, founders then go about building a business, bootstrapping it, and then later on. Uh, they'll bring in outside capital to to solve that problem. That's probably every seven times out of 10 in the ecosystem right now. It used to be nine times out of 10. Uh, capital is becoming more available now, even at the earlier stage. But still, uh, getting that validation from the market is so important. And, and that's the direction I advise founders to go in uh, than, than bringing in outside capital early on. That's great advice. And I wrote some of that down. Um, and I'm definitely going to introduce you to my friend so you can talk to him because I like it how you approach that as misconceptions that people have. Like you have to, like you said, just drop everything and, you know, put all your time and effort into um, the business and all your money and everything. I've heard people like take everything out of their savings or their retirement just to start their business and, uh, you know, crazy stories like that. Uh, but let's get into StartEd and Ed Tech Week. So give us some information about what StartEd is and what the, what it does and what you guys do and helping Ed Tech, you know, entrepreneurs or companies get things started. Absolutely. So my time, so going back to my story about how I got started in the space. So I wrapped up my time with, with Techstars and went on to found uh, or operate or advise uh, building other edtech accelerators. Oh, and then when I talk about edtech, it's also workforce learning as well. Um, I did that for for Intel, for New York University, and then suddenly a few years later, I was this one-trick pony, and I found myself having created or operated the most number of edtech accelerators. And uh, I realized that this model might not really work. Uh, the realization was that um, having an outside investor come in and invest in a young company at that stage and then expect the type of growth that you tend to see in other industries like in the consumer space is probably detrimental to creating an efficacious education solution, right? Um, it takes time to, to navigate the regulatory environment. It takes time to figure out how to, it takes time to run a randomized control trial to actually figure out where the product works. The sales cycle is slow. So, the investors at that stage, either they need to be super patient or they should basically giving that money to charity because they're not going to get their money back anytime soon. So, right. Um, right. That's, that's, that's keep that in mind, folks. <laughs> exactly. Have that, and, and have that patience. Exactly. And, and so therefore uh, we thought, wait a minute, uh, let's actually look at this from, the, from everybody else's perspective too, from the student, from the educator, from the entrepreneur's point of view. Uh, and let's actually provide the, the networking and learning that uh, a young innovator would need to the point where they might want to, to, to bring in investment from other side. And by the way, the best way to build a company is, and get investment from outside is to not need it, right? So if you can uh, validate a market, really understand a pain point, uh, create a lot of goodwill among schools and, and, and educators and students uh, within your product, that's the way that you can really build an impactful solution. And if you bring in outside capital at that point, then you can get to quite a few more people. 
in a more compelling way, maybe even find ways to get to people who really, really need it. Uh, you know, the, the problems that we saw in education before COVID only got exacerbated and only got exacerbated for specific uh, communities, usually underrepresented communities that, uh, uh, that were suffering in the first place. So um, bringing that capital at the right time, all these nuances of bringing education together helped us realize, okay, we actually need to build a school. Uh, investment can be part of it, but not the whole part of it. And so now started essentially provides uh, education and networking, which train companies how to build their organizations all the way up from idea stage up to about series B, as well as we do this for nonprofits. Um, and we do that in a non-dilutive manner. And guess what? The simplest business model uh, turned out to be tuition. And uh, we, we wow, you got a whole school around this. This is cool. I right. love it. And, <laughs> yeah, so I, I love education. So anytime somebody builds something that's education related, or you know, like oh, I built this this institution, but it's it's you know, it's helping with. I love it how you say networking. That's a big part of it too. So, anyways, I'll stop talking. Keep going. Uh, the, the networking is a key component, Holly. Glad you brought that up. Uh, the the programs and the education at StartEd don't actually look like a traditional school. They actually look like things we tend to see in in business, in the ecosystem, in education, in the professional environment. But we don't necessarily think of it as education, right? Um, for example, I'll host a bunch of of Shark Tanks uh, that focus on uh, selecting a few great ed tech companies, and we put them in front of a a live audience. We used to do that in person in New York and in Los Angeles, uh, but now we bring that together monthly um, uh, on, uh, on our, in a virtual environment. And that's education because A, the companies uh, that present, they would have been with us for a few days to a few months, and they've been honing their pitches and designing their companies to, to be more effective and efficient. And they'll present that at their graduation, if you will, uh, to, to the world, right? Uh, we are also then educating the audience because that conversation, whilst it involves pictures from companies, I'll also bring in a few sharks. These are some of the leading investors in the space. And they'll discuss what those companies should be doing and, and uh, what they're doing well in the context of what's happening in, in the industry. Yeah. So, so I'm trying to figure out ways we can, in an in a, in a entertaining, compelling experiential learning way, uh, teach everyone who's interacting with each other and walk away with knowing something that they didn't know um, you know, just before they, they took part in, in what uh, we, we hosted. So that's just an example of um, the type of, of programs we run uh, at StartEd. I love it. I want to be in it, but I don't have time to start a business, head tech business and all the other ventures I'm dabbling in. So, so you have started and it's offering people who, who are jumping into this entrepreneurial, solopreneur space, the, the skills, any of the tools, it's, it's like whole real world business situation on getting things started. And now what about EdTech week? What is that? Oh, good question. So uh, that's <laughs> my, my, my second uh, initiative, which, which we started at the same time as StartEd. Um, and that's, Parallelly, think of StartEd as our community for, for innovators to learn and, and network, uh, which welcomes 
everyone else in the ecosystem, whether they be investors, researchers, educators, policymakers, students. Uh, however, um, uh, we needed to bring that community together in a compelling way. And starting at the same time in, in around 2015, we started bringing these, these diverse stakeholders in education together in New York uh, to really set a tone for what we needed to focus as an industry um, uh, in general. Now, uh, myself and my colleague, Jonathan Harbour, he's a, he's a co-founder at StartEd. Uh, he uh, built SchoolNet and sold that to Pearson uh, back in the day, became the head of K-12 technology. Oh, there. That, that's cool. Uh, like, you, so know, he, you know, a lot of, a lot of nifty people. Uh, it, it, uh, well, it, it's more, mainly because uh, Jonathan knew them. <laughs> He's probably one gotcha. of those people that I should, uh, I should feel lucky to, to work with and be inspired by. Uh, so he and I founded the company uh, back, in, back in the day. And what he wanted to do was, um, you know, we kept traveling to the West Coast to, to meet up with, uh, with our peers. And he thought maybe we bring something together in New York uh, for, for the industries. Uh, and, and that's what resulted was, was EdTech Week. Uh, what we wanted to do was focus it on the early stage education space as well, because no one seemed to be paying attention to these young companies um, but you know, devoting capital and attention to to more mature ones. That's changed since then. I think everybody cares about early, the early stage a little bit more now. Um, however, uh, we also wanted to make it very New York. So uh, we brought together a bunch of Broadway singers to open uh, the the show. If you, will. I love it. I uh, love it. We had uh, the the guy who plays Aladdin uh, in Aladdin open up one of the shows uh, with a story and a song about um, a scene that got deleted from Disney's Aladdin, uh, which had Aladdin's mom in it, by the way. Uh, and the, Oh, the song, that's interesting. Yeah, and the song was about Aladdin singing to his mom about starting off in his life and, and taking the risk to, to do his, to go out and do his own endeavor. Uh, it got taken out of the ultimate, uh, the movie, but it's, was such a pleasure to have him tell that story because that's such it's resonated so well with all the entrepreneurs in the room. Um, but you know we'd have a bunch of uh, uh, things like that, yeah, intricately interwoven emotionally and 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 contextually with learning about what's happening in education broadly defined and the investment space. Um, we brought a bunch of startups together uh, and and we had them present on stage and we had a bunch of investors in the audience and that was the genesis of our, our shark tanks as well. So all of that obviously went online uh, a couple of years ago and, and it went from about 1,000 people in New York to about 5,000 virtually. And I can't wait to, to let people know our plans for this year uh, because fingers crossed, we'll be bringing about 1,000 people uh, together uh, if it's safe uh, in September 2022. Oh, good. I'm happy to hear that. And I hope by September it's it's down again and it's back to normal. You have shared so much great information on this very short amount of time we have together. I'm very excited. I've taken a lot of notes. Now let's start wrapping things up because I'm sure I could ask you multiple questions and we could have a very much longer chat. But I want to know is there anything else that we missed in the episode? Anything else you'd like to share? And then from you, I want to know, what does the future of educational technology look like? Oh, fascinating question. 
I could probably spend another half an hour talking about that, but uh, <laughs> me too. Me too. I like to keep the episode short and digestible, you know, for the audience. Cause if they're... But man, I know you and I could go into it for sure. Uh, certainly. And, and let me answer as succinctly as I can uh, in, in the following way. I, I think there's a, a future. We are actually living in that future now. Uh, so, you know, we recently had the largest user test of education technology in history. Uh, in, in the pandemic. And what it essentially did was it brought forward the work that the industry would have had to do uh, on its own organically by about five years. So uh, to put it very simply, uh, we had 2 billion people go online and, and experience, with, experience distance learning. A fair portion of them didn't like it. Some people continue to not like it because that's not how we're supposed to interact with other human beings and learn. However, a fair portion did realize that we'll end up going back to um, uh, teaching and learning in person, but be able to, to have, offer more access through this experience that now is a little bit more legitimized. So I like to say that we'll probably spend a little bit more time uh, learning uh, virtually going forward. We'll probably spend uh, a little bit more time uh, networking in person and building relationships because that's where uh, uh, the virtual environment doesn't really lend itself to that. Right. Yeah. And the I, love, I, I love it how you, I have to say this because you just said we're living in the future. We totally are. And people don't realize that. Yeah, we, we really are. Uh, and, and that's, that's not just in the U S it's, it's all around the world. We're seeing that happen in India, India and Indonesia to everywhere else in the world where people are kind of leapfrogging what they would have done otherwise. Um, the other part of this is, is, okay, now that 2025 or 2026 has been brought forward by a few years, what, what happens in 2030? So uh, we're actually seeing some of the companies that are going to be very large organizations uh, go through our programs right now. Um, and it's, it's fascinating. Uh, things as futuristic as being able to understand and translate brainwave activity into written script and, and, and measures of emotion, um, the idea of using uh, genetics and, and biotechnology to enhance how we learn and who we interact with, the ideas of using technology simply to get it into the hands of people who might not have it, had it before, understanding the nuances of, of, um, of underrepresented audiences a little bit more than we would have otherwise all those those eventualities are are getting accelerated and, and coming forward. Um, and what I'm really excited about is that those five verticals that we talked about are are starting to merge uh, and and into overlap and and not be as siloed as they used to be. Uh, I'm seeing uh, technology helping a 13 year old in in India get hired at Google and work and make more money than their parents are doing uh, currently. I bet that's a fun conversation, fun conversation to have around the dinner table. <laughs> <laughs> right, you know, a little bit awkward, but uh, hey mom, uh, he, he, I've paid your rent this week. Um, but it's fascinating what's happening. Uh, and and uh, I think we're starting to see this the space really getting redefined uh, and I think by 2030, it will be relatively unrecognizable to someone who might be looking at it from uh, earlier this century. Yeah, definitely. Oh, 
Well, you have presented us with so much wonderful information here on this short but sweet episode. And I can't thank you enough for getting into this industry and all that you're doing for people who want to start ed tech companies, be in ed tech, the, the investors, and just helping this whole ecosystem, this whole group of people just come together. It's really wonderful. So I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Holly. It's, it's our pleasure. Well, that's another fantastic episode of Ed Up Ed Tech. You've been listening to another episode of Ed Up Ed Tech with your host, Holly Owens. You can follow Holly on LinkedIn. You can also visit her website at jollyholly.me to find out more about what she's up to. Please head to Apple or wherever you download your podcast content and leave us a rating, review, and please subscribe to be notified of future episodes. This has been another incredible episode of Ed Up Ed Tech with your host, Holly Owens.